and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is you're transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life now. Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Intentional Performers Podcast. I'm Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us for another great episode today. But before we get to today's guest, I want to let you know how you might be able to help me out. So if this is your first time here, welcome. I work as a mental performance coach and an executive coach, which means that I work with awesome athletes in sport and awesome executives in the corporate world. And in regard to the executives that I serve, the way that I serve them is through a cohort. So if you've listened before, you've probably heard me mention in 2019, I launched my first cohort where I started coaching 10 different executives. These are people that range from age 30 to 60. They are director level to CEO level, and they are just open-minded, curious, highly driven people. And I love coaching them. I'm having a blast doing it. We launched the first one this past January, and it ends and culminates with a retreat in June. So the way the cohort works is I coach each individual one-on-one, and then at the end of six months, I bring those people together for a retreat so that they can learn from each other, grow, and share knowledge and wisdom with each other. So I love the cohort model, and I love it so much that I'm launching my second cohort. It'll start in late June, early July with a retreat in mid-December. So if this is something that you think you'd be interested in or someone you know would be interested in it, feel free to reach out via email. My email is brian at B. Levinson. You can also find me on Twitter at Brian Levinson. And we're currently taking applicants. So if you're a good fit, would love to hear from you or a friend. Now to today's guests. And I say guests because we have two people on the podcast today. So we have Phil Costa and Rob Curley. They wrote a book recently called The Transition Playbook for Athletes, How Elite Athletes Win After Sports. And Phil played professional football. He was the starting center for the Dallas Cowboys, much to my chagrin. And we talk about this today in the podcast. I'm a Washington Redskins fan or grew up a Redskins fan, but he played for for the Cowboys. And after football, he worked for a medical device company, assisting heart surgeons during more than 500 operations. And in 2018, he decided to go back to school. Uh, he actually graduated with an MBA from Columbia Business School. And today he lives in Madrid, Spain, where he's enrolled in Spanish language school. So Phil is 
played football at the highest level, and he also has done academics at Columbia at the highest level. And he's just somebody who's very thoughtful, very intentional with how he's going about his life and has decided to live in a Spanish-speaking country and is not afraid of a little adventure. His co-author is one of his best friends from childhood, Rob Curley. And Rob was the winner of the Charles L. Albert Award for Most Outstanding Athlete at Lafayette College. So Phil and Rob played football together in high school. Uh, Rob was the quarterback. Phil was a guard. Later, Phil would go on to play center in the NFL, as I mentioned. And Rob went on to play professional football in Europe and has previously worked in sales for a leading global pharmaceutical manufacturer. And today, he lives in Bern, Switzerland, where he attends German language school. So these are two worldly guys who also played football at the highest of levels, and they've come together to share their knowledge and their research on athlete transition. And even though their book is about athlete transition, I think it's something for us all to think about. We are constantly in transition, constantly on the move, whether you just had a kid, you got married, you graduated from college, or you graduated from high school. We often are going through transitions in our life, and their book and really their passion is to help people and give people advice on how they could better get themselves ready for those massive transitions. So without further ado, I'm so excited to present to you both Phil and Rob. Phil and Rob, welcome to Bethesda, Maryland. You're looking out at Walter Reed Hospital is right over there and NIH is right over there too. So there's some cool stuff that go on around here. We got some decent restaurants and and all that good stuff. Um, Phil, I know you're sort of familiar with the area. Rob, welcome. I don't know how much you've trafficked uh, Bethesda, Maryland, but thanks for coming to the office where we can chat a little bit. And I'm excited to get to know both of you and also learn about the work that you're doing with athlete identity and transition, all topics that I'm really interested in. So hopefully I'll learn a little bit from you two today and what you found uh, when you went out and and research this stuff. Where I'd love to start is high school. So it sounded like, based on when we chatted previously, that Rob was a superstar quarterback. And Phil, were you playing center for him at the time? Yeah, Jack to be here, man. Um, so yeah, Rob was uh, the quarterback in high school, and I was the offensive lineman. I was offensive guard in high school. So you weren't a center. You weren't in the position where centers and quarterbacks become very close it wasn't that type of deal. You were a guard at that time. Now, I know where we're going here. I had a lot of quarterbacks there. I had Tony Romo in the pros. Um, but, yeah, Rob Curley wasn't doing it in high school. Well, Rob was definitely the best-looking quarterback that you were around for years. Now, Tony Romo, probably a far, far second. What do you think about that, Rob? Is that accurate? Yeah, I think that's 100% accurate. Now, don't get me wrong. Antonio Romo is a, is a very good-looking young man. He's doing really great things on the uh, – on the uh, TV waves these days, but yeah, he is uh, sadly uh, uh, a long shot number two next to uh, next to myself. So in all seriousness, though, Rob, so you're playing quarterback in high school, uh, and Phil is your offensive lineman. Were you guys best friends growing up? When did your relationship and friendship start? Yeah, so uh, yeah, well, again, Brad, thanks for having us here. Um, yeah, so uh, freshman year of high school, we went to a uh, um, a county school, like the one uh, the one county school, the one school in the county. Um, so we took kids from all different uh, towns in the area. So Phil and I met freshman year, um, and you know, luckily for me to have a, a protector and an offensive lineman like Phil, you know, along with some other guys that we had. Um, so yeah, I mean, pretty quick friends, pretty fast friends, 
And uh, it's one of those things when you can support your buddies with, you know, buying pizza after practices and games. I think, you know, typically the O-line uh, appreciates appreciates those kind of uh, sentiments. So, I you know, I appreciated them keeping me safe and, uh, you know, kind of gave back to them through uh, through food. Pretty easy vehicle for uh, offensive linemen. And was football your both of your passions or did you like playing other sports as well or was football the, the, main, the main sport? Yeah, I mean, I grew up playing a little bit of everything. Um, played golf, baseball, basketball. Uh, I was on the high school golf team, high school football team. And I think the same with Rob where, you know, we were always competing in whatever we were doing um, through sports. Uh, and, you know, Rob, I think he played, he was on the baseball team in high school and um, football as well, obviously. But, yeah, always competing at different things. So you go your separate ways in college. Phil, you came to Maryland. Rob, you went to Lafayette. Is that right? Yeah. So uh, what was college like? I'll start with you, Rob, and then we'll, we'll go back to Phil and find out what it was like to play at Maryland. Yeah, for me, a lot, you know, Lafayette College, Eastern Pennsylvania. Give a quick shout out to those, uh, you know, all the Leopards. Um, yeah, it was a fantastic experience for me uh, coming from uh, South Jersey, getting a chance to really mingle with a new group of people. You know, again, it's kind of relocating and, and, and trying to develop, a you know, an identity at a time period where you're going through, you know, some stuff, some changes physically and, and you know, mentally at that time. But I uh, had a great four years uh, up on College Hill in, uh, in Easton. Uh, and, and Lafayette's been been a fantastic supporter um, of mine and, and, you know, really it's been a great springboard for kind of what Phil and I are doing now. And Rob, when you're at Lafayette, what are you studying? What are you thinking you want to do? uh upon graduation yeah for me it was always football um so i went there um you know with the first intent to go play football so uh you know my intention was to go find a school that had a great education but also you know the ability to play a high level of football so in lafayette um i studied uh you know as a history major sociology minor um really interested in kind of stories and storytelling and and um you know the kind of the research and kind of how things have developed to the way they are and why and kind of understand the history behind those things has always been something that's been uh, pretty close to my heart. So, uh, yeah, four years up there um, at Lafayette studying studying history, and, and uh, yeah, it was a fantastic experience. And playing quarterback at a high level, what were some things you would do mentally to make sure that when Saturday came around or game day rolled around that you were as sharp as you needed to be? Yeah, for me, it was always about preparation. You know, at the quarterback position, it's all about how fast can you think, how fast can you react to these situations that you see. So you practice these these situations over and over and over, you know, until it becomes muscle memory at some point. So uh, for me, it was always about practice, preparation. I stayed every summer. I stayed every every winter break, every spring break I could to kind of be on campus to, to continue to build rapport with receivers and linemen and coaches to really be on the same page. So... I think that practice and that preparation, uh, you know, has been a really huge key for my success. I'm actually curious to get both of your opinions. So, Rob, we'll start with you and then go to Phil. One of the things I've been surprised about when working with football players is that they don't always love football. And when I work with collegiate athletes that play basketball or soccer or hockey, you hear a, a real love. Like, I love to do this. I'm just curious, did you guys love playing football? Uh, and I'd love to just hear both of you unpack that. Yeah, for me, I mean, I love competing in the first place. You know, for me, I'm lucky as, you know, as a quarterback, I get to have the ball in my hands every play. So I get to kind of dictate who, you know, who gets the ball next and, and how that goes. So for me, it's always been about kind of sharing and giving and, and being able to, to take other guys, you know, through my past, you know, that they catch to go on and score a touchdown and kind of be a part of that, part of that team and a part of that movement. Um, 
but yeah, I've, I, you know, I grew up loving football, baseball, basketball, all the same, but football is really the vehicle that, that's kind of taking me to where I am. But so, so all those sports you loved equally, or was there a passion for one of them more than the other? I think, for, you know, with football, it's such a, uh, um, yeah, I don't know how to say it. With, with football, it's really, it, it's, I mean, it's a violent sport, you know, so there is, there is some level of, you know, manliness or some level of, of uh, I don't want to say violence, but it's, it's it's a level of primal te- it's primal, primal kind of testing your manhood that's that's the idea so i think that was for me like the biggest um the biggest response after a game after a practice you really felt like you know you you had you know sweat but also bled you know and that's i think that's that's one thing that football separates with a lot of other sports that there's a lot more you know honestly a lot more bleeding than you know than a lot of other sports and you were good with that I was happy with that. For yeah. me, I mean, I only took a couple hits a game. That's the idea, you know. My job. We'll get to Phil next in yeah. the trenches, but for for you, yeah, quarterback, it's it's good. But in all seriousness, like you hear quarterbacks like Brady or Russell Wilson, you hear Peyton Manning, you hear these guys talk about how much they love the sport, but you don't hear always. You do like there are linebackers that love it and linemen that love it, but I think quarterback is a different position in that sport. Um, then lineman, I, Phil, I'd love for you to jump in and, and share your experience and your relationship with football and, and how you thought about it. Yeah, I think it's interesting. For me, I loved playing. I loved the contact. I loved competing. Uh, I think it's interesting that you say when you speak with these you know high-level uh, college athletes or pro athletes, um, I'm actually surprised to hear that, that they don't love it. Um, and I, I've seen it for sure, but m- maybe – maybe is the idea that well these are the athletes who maybe need more support because they don't love it as much and that's maybe a little part of it so take me to uh we'll come back to maryland but take me to the nfl would you say you got i mean what 53 active but then you got a bunch others that are either hurt or practice squad let's call it what like 70 guys that you're around in the locker room so would you say that most of those guys loved playing football maybe i maybe i'm meeting the wrong football players to me 99.99 percent of players in the nfl love it to play at that level to uh put that much time into it you know we get there at 6 30 in the morning leave 6 30 at night uh you're watching film after you leave the facility um, that's why I'm surprised to hear that. I think to play at a high level, you have to love it and you have to love, you know, you're not, it's like any job. You're not going to love every single part of it, you know, but you, you've got to love something yet. You know, for me, it was competing, but it was, you know, I, I just loved going out there and the contact. I, I love that part of it. And that, that was kind of my transition from football and how we came to write the transition playbook for athletes was when I, I loved playing and hitting. You know, as a lineman, you're doing that every day. But when I had injuries and those starting to build up, I couldn't and I, and I didn't really love that part of it my last year because it, it just hurt to hit, you know what I mean? So I think, uh, but, but to come back to your question, I think 99.9% of elite athletes love it. Yeah, it's interesting. Maybe the pain aspect, and uh, I'll take it out of football. I'll take it to swimming or cross-country or wrestling, uh, those athletes too, they, they, they talk about their sport, at least when I am, have them in a one-on-one private room, uh, they enjoy doing it, but they're pain sports. And their relationship with pain uh, is different than, it's not to say basketball or 
even like hockey is a physical sport, but it's different. Um, it's just different as far as the people that I talk to. But in swimming, in football, in wrestling, in cross country, you have to take your body to a certain limit. And there's a monotony to those sports. Tennis is actually like that too. I think people think that tennis is like this glamorous country club sport, but those guys have to be in shape like crazy. They're always dealing with injuries. They're running like mad. They have to deal with pain. And then it's this monotonous of hitting the same shot over and over again. And in football, there is creativity, especially at the quarterback position. But offense, I mean, I would imagine most of your days, we were talking about like who you like to watch as a center. Uh, you know, you're watching probably hand placement, feet, like these little, very small mechanics. So I'd love for you to just chat about, you know, the details and how you dealt with pain. Well, you know, you're talking about guys I loved playing. We were fortunate to link up with Matt Burke, uh, you know, 15 year NFL guy, former Walter Payton man of the year. Um, and he's somebody who offers advice in the book uh, and offers insight into his transition, you know? Um, but specifically to, you know, how an athlete or how personally I dealt with the pain or dealt with uh you know, some of the finer points of the game, um, I loved it. I mean, I loved being in the film room. I loved watching other centers, see how they're doing it. And it is, it's the attention to detail. But what job that you're, you know, you're passionate about or what job that you do isn't attention to detail. Um, but that's what it came down to for me. And when you leave the NFL, talk about that experience and and rob i'd love to hear you after college what what that transition was like but phil maybe start give us a sense i mean you're playing for the dallas cowboys i'm a washington redskins fan hate to hear it man <laughs> and so when i when when jordan steffi connected us and he said yeah he played for the cowboys i go you think that's a good thing um but we've had on all kinds of different people on the show and we've actually had on i think yeah we've had people that might have played for the cowboys uh that's a story for another day the best ones right <laughs> but uh but yeah so you're playing for america's team you know in this spotlight you know you mentioned tony romo earlier it's a there's a spotlight so what was it like for you leaving that and just talk about that transition yeah so you know as we talk about in the book the transition when you're an athlete especially at that level at the professional level everybody's coming to you with offers the phone calls are incoming agents are calling you business owners are calling you you know here's an opportunity for a signing well when you're done those those phone those phone calls stop you know, so now, and here's where the switch has to go on for the athlete. And it took me a while. Um, and we hope we can help other athletes, you know, with this book, with putting that switch and hitting it quicker is you have to make the call now, you know, it's reaching out to people and connecting with them, but being the first to pick up the phone. And that's something that athletes that we're not accustomed to doing because we just haven't done it. it there's also something to that, which when I work with pro athletes, it can be very frustrating. Like many pro athletes don't keep a calendar, right? Like they don't keep a Google calendar. I don't know. Maybe you did. No. Well, you know, what's funny is, I mean, it, sending an email and we talk about this with Rob and I, it was, I mean, we're still fi refining the art of sending the perfect, you know, the best business email because you can just keep getting better. But I remember he was out a little quicker than I was, and he was helping me write emails. I mean, it should be a simple thing, but 
even now after, you know, going to business school and doing everything like that's such an important thing. And I'll tell you how many emails I wrote with the Dallas Cowboys, you know, you're not, it's not how you're connecting with your coach or teammates or coworkers. You know, you're, you're seeing them every day at the facility. You're not sending uh, memos back and forth. You yeah. Know what it's, I mean? So it's a whole different universe that you have to deal with. Um, and, and so I want to, we'll, we'll go back to grad school uh, and all that in a little bit. I want to just end with when you were performing, what sort of things would you do to make sure that on game day, uh, either in college or in pros, that mentally you were where you needed to be? Uh, the biggest thing is the preparation part, but you do it a thousand times, you know, on the practice field, and you bring the practice field to the game field. The idea, though, is every rep you have to be so focused during practice. And that's the biggest change to me. You know, everybody says from college to the pros, well, it's the speed of the game, it's the speed of the game. To me, it wasn't. It's the mental preparation. In college, you get there, you have four years to show, oh, I can do this, I can perform, you get a scholarship. In the NFL, I mean, every day you're proving it. And not that you're not doing that in college, but it's a different level where, you know, this is your job, you're focused on this, you're doing this 100%. Um, and that's the idea where, you know, you bring the practice field to the game field. Any tools or techniques or strategies or people that helped you show up as your best? Well, I had many mentors and that's something we talk about in the playbook, you know, in the, in the book we just wrote is, is a mentor during sports. You know, we have coaches, we have captains we look up to, uh, we had, we have outside mentors. Well, the same's true after sports. You know, we have to find these people. We have to find the mental performance coaches. We have to find, you know, somebody that we look up to in business or somebody that we look up to in life and say, you know, can we meet for coffee? And that's like, you know, it's all a mentor is, is, hey, can we meet for coffee? You know, shoot some ideas off you and let's set some goals. But the idea of you've had these elite coaches around you and now when you're done playing, you have to still find that. And as part of, you know, one of the main ideas in the book is finding the mentor. And Rob, you uh, graduated from Lafayette. What came next for you as you finished up playing, playing football? Yeah, for me, I actually had the opportunity to go uh, continue my playing career overseas for a while. So I played, uh, played in Europe for a couple of seasons. And, um, and that was kind of a cool transitional period for me is kind of getting thrown into a new, uh, you know, new culture and, and uh, a new system. Where you were know? you? So I was in Sweden, uh, Switzerland, and Italy. I spent time in all these all these places, and um, yeah. So I played a couple seasons over there, and and, uh, and had the opportunity to, luckily, had the opportunity to really kind of learn about myself as I'm over there in these countries where I don't speak the language, where uh, you know I'm new to the culture. How do I buy a train ticket? How do I order a sandwich? How do I say hello to somebody? You know, all these things. So I was kind of thrown thrown out of my little world and you know uh in college and 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 exposed to really okay here's no support you know go go kind of learn it yourself at uh, that point were you dreaming of still playing in the nfl yeah so i you know i had some some opportunity to go to the cfl and and kind of continue my career i kind of turned that down a little bit it's a different game different number of guys on the field um and i kind of you know i know you know the american game and that's and that's kind of what i excel at so uh but but i hadn't really given it much thought i mean i just figured i'd play till i couldn't play anymore you know i didn't know anything else i mean i've always been an athlete that's always been 
you know, been my identity. I've always identified as a, as, as a baseball player, football player, you know, whatever that athlete identity is. So the idea, you know, the idea of going from an expert in this field, you know, coming back home to the States and being a novice in whatever I did next was like terrifying for me. Really, it was like crippling. You know, how do I, what's the next step? Who do I talk to? How do I, you know, you know, kind of like Phil said, how do I write a proper email? How do I introduce myself to people? And, and then, you know, internally it's, who am I? I'm no longer Rob Curley, the quarterback or Rob Curley, the football player, Rob Curley, the athlete. I'm Rob Curley, the what, you know, so how do I even self-identify? So for me, it was, it was, um, you know, and, and luckily I had some time to prepare myself overseas, you know, so when I came back, I was a little bit better prepared than, uh, if I had stayed in the States and jumped right into something. Um, but yeah, it was definitely, uh, it was definitely, uh, a trying transitional period for me. There's two things that you talked about that I just want to pull on and really good threads. One is this idea of the sport is what I do. It's not who I am. And I think that we say I'm a football player or I'm a coach or I'm this, and it's really what we do, who we are, the best example I give. And I don't know if you ever interacted with these guys in the NFL, but I always say like Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez both played the same exact position at the same exact time, both good looking big, strong dudes, like they look from the outside looking in like the same and you're laughing. So I'm, I'm curious where you go with this. I'm like, okay, same position, same team, Super Bowl, money, strong, good looking dudes, like look like the same. And Gronk is probably on a party boat somewhere doing what Gronk does. And Aaron Hernandez was doing some really bad stuff. And you know, their lives went in completely opposite directions. But what they did, their identity, if you looked at it from the outside looking in, they'd be the same. So that was one thought. And Phil, I want to get your thoughts on that. Before you go there, the only other thought I'll say is, Rob, I love what you said about this idea of being a novice and an expert. And I actually think in life, the most successful people carry both of those. So they are novices when they're learning or when they're preparing and when they're working on themselves or their job but they're experts when it's time to perform. And so my book that's going to come out whenever it comes out, we were talking about it before, who knows? Um, it'll come out soon. Uh, people that have listened to this podcast have probably heard me talk about it. They're probably sick of me talking about this framework. <laughs> but this idea that your mindset for preparation is actually different than your mindset for performance. And I think being a novice in preparation is really important. You're what Phil was talking about watching film earlier. Hey, I need to learn. I need to grow. I need to get better. But the moment you step onto that field, like, if you don't think you're an expert, the guy you're lining up against, that nose tackle definitely thinks he's an expert, and he's going to run over you if you still think you're a novice. And so I love this idea of being both a novice and an expert. And now that you guys have written a book, you have expertise, but we've sat here uh, before we fired up the mics, and you're asking me questions as novices. So I love where that lives as a novice and an expert. How did you approach, and this is for Rob, how did you approach this new life where you had this expertise, but now you're thrown into this novice world. Yeah, I mean, for me, it really starts with a, you know with a, a basic level of humility to understand that I don't know everything. You know, they always say people, you know, no one criticizes down. You know, so no one, you know, no one who knows more is ever going to criticize someone who knows less. That's you know, that's the idea. So, trying to approach these things with first the humility, and then also, you know, kind of a beginner's mindset. You know, of asking questions of of, of true curiosity. Really, I know I don't know everything. You know. 
and and the person I'm dealing with may not know everything either, but they know more than me. So let's let's take the best practices and kind of let's learn from you know from these people. Um, so yeah, that was I mean that's been crucial for for myself. You know, Phil, I can I can speak for I think, and and you know probably all you know 100 athletes in this book are probably you know have a similar experience with that. And Phil, you were lighting up when I brought up the Rob Gronkowski Aaron Hernandez thing. So uh, I'd love to hear why you were lighting up when I started talking about that. Well, I'm a big uh, big Gronk fan. You know, um, we actually, I was on the party boat. Uh, you know, I'm not, I don't really want to get into, you know, comparing those two guys, um, but just, just a big Gronk fan. What they do, and I think, um, you know, with, with Rob especially, is, you know, obviously he's a great athlete. Everybody sees how much fun he has, and he's a fun guy, but he works his butt off, and he, you know, he's done playing now. Um, he's going through the transition, and he will, but... You know, just a great person and just a fun guy to be around. And, you know, with the Gronk family, we we, uh, we actually, they went to Maryland, you know. So I've roomed with the one brother, Chris. Uh, another brother, Dan, was two years older than me. Chris and I, who's in the book, um, Chris, uh, we roomed together when we were in Dallas. You know, our rookie year, we came in together, free agents, not supposed to make the team. Uh, you know, these guys will be here for two weeks. Well, you know, Chris was a starting fullback by that year, and I was back up and I was dressing for the games, you know. So, yeah, this tight bond, you know, it's tight with the Gronks. So you probably can't give Rob advice on how to play tight end in the NFL because he probably did it as well as anybody has ever done it. Yep. But you just mentioned he's now transitioning out. So with everything that you've learned on this journey of yours to find out about the transition, what advice would you give to him about transitioning out of the NFL? Yeah. The So what we found in the book is the earlier an athlete starts to prepare for the inevitable transition, the more successful they will be. Well, we're talking about Rob now. He's done, and, you know, I think he's done a lot of things while he was playing. So he did prepare in a lot of ways, you know. Um, but, you know, the advice now for Rob would probably be, you know, follow follow what interests you, you know. And he's fortunate. He's got the financial stability, I know. But, you know, if you want to go, uh, you know, be a, you know, who knows? He could be a doc. He wants to be a doctor, Dr. Gronk. You know what I'm saying? If he wants to do that, he can. Um, but, you know. I thought you were going to say Hollywood star. He can, he can be that be too, man. You know, he'd be the WrestleMania next year. Um, but really, I think part of it is what we learned from the book is what athletes have done is this. They will meet with people who they think they might want to do their jobs. And, you know, personally, I met with realtors, met with real estate uh, investors, met with lawyers, doctors, politicians. Um, this is all a year of getting out of playing the NFL. Well, I'm thinking about doing these jobs. Let me go meet with them. I think I know what they do. But the question is, like, what's your day look like? You know, how do you spend, you know, your nine to five? Is it a nine to five? You know, there's something interesting because the guy that connected us is Jordan Steffi. Right. Uh, and I'll just give a little background on Jordan. He played quarterback in Maryland. While he's at Maryland, he has this dream of starting a nonprofit that mentors youth. He was mentored. Uh, Jordan's one of the most impressive people I've ever met. I'm sure you feel the same. And Jordan really leveraged his celebrity at Maryland to really get in front of some influential people. And Rob, I'm curious, even at Lafayette, you're the quarterback, right? Like, you're, I know you had a really successful career there. Uh, and this is going to be for both of you, but we'll start with Rob. For years, there was this notion of just focus on your job. Like, you know, 
don't do anything else. Just do football. If you're in college, just do football and academics, nothing else. And even in the NFL for years, we've told our athletes, like even you're doing too many commercials. I mean, I remember when Robert Griffin, the third was drafted here, there were complaints that he was doing too many commercials. And I feel like that narrative started to shift. Uh, the people that I see leading that shift, at least the ones that I notice are the NBA guys. I think those guys have gotten so much smarter about leveraging their celebrity and leveraging um, their influence to get in on venture capital deals. Um, like I know Andre Godala, for example, has been a big guy on that. Uh, there's a guy that helps him with that, Rudy Klein Thomas, who does an event every year out in San Francisco for athletes to get them to use their celebrity so that they can get in on some deals. So I think it's changing, but I'm curious, Rob, when you were at college, were you thinking at all like, hey, maybe because I'm the quarterback, I don't want to say it in like a celebrity manner, but leveraging your influence as a college athlete to help better yourself down the road? Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's part of the reason why this book came to fruition at some point, because I didn't do enough of that, you know, and that was one of the obstacles I faced when I got out of it was I was so focused on making sure, you know, every throw I made, every, every practice, everything I did in every game was, was so perfect. I dedicated myself almost 100% to doing that. And then, you know, that's, you know, again, that's why the book came about, because I came out of it saying, dang, I wish I would have done a couple of these things different. And, you know, how can I learn from these other people? Um, and yeah, it, you know, the, the uh, conversation has definitely changed in the last couple of years with, you know, kind of building a brand around, you know, LeBron's in LA right now for, you know, I'm sure a myriad of reasons, but one of the things is to build his brand is, is the first no doubt, brand, no doubt. Know? And this is, and, and it's, and it's smart and it's sharp and, and, um, you know, I'm really happy now that athletes are taking that more seriously and, 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 you know, building their own brand, um, understanding that, you know, their power. Uh, in a different way. But yeah, that's, that's, you know, kind of like you said, that's something I wish I would have done more. Well, there's also different ways to do it. So LeBron moved to LA, like decided to go all in with that approach. And he also, look, he's playing for the Lakers. It's not like he's playing for some team that has no history, but Kobe was fully obsessed with basketball, fully, fully, fully. And I think he had a pretty good sense of what he was going to do once that ball stopped bouncing. He wanted to be a creator. He is a creative and he had made relationships with people while he was playing and called them up to pick their brain. I think when Michael Jackson was still alive, he would call up Michael to talk to him. Um, so I think you can be fully obsessed with your sport. I don't think anyone in the basketball hit, honestly, since I've been born, there's been no one that I've seen that's more obsessed as Kobe. Uh, even like Jordan, I think Kobe was singularly focused on being the best he could ever be. And the the stories of Kobe, I've had guys on this podcast that played with him. Uh, the stories are crazy. Um, and he is not one-dimensional. He's multi-dimensional. He's, he's a genius. I mean, he's a complicated guy, but a genius. And he's doing amazing things. I think he won a Grammy or one of those trophies, um, an Emmy maybe. Uh, so I, I want to just let's let's unpack that a little bit so so you know a high school kid that's going to play quarterback at Lafayette what are you telling that high school kid now yeah I mean really it's diversify your interests you know at some point I think one of the cool things about Kobe uh, and his kind of story is he grew up between two you know a few different cultures let's say so you know he spent time in Italy he spent time in Philadelphia and and uh, you know following his dad around playing a pro career um, but because he interacted with so many different types of people, he's he set himself up for success. Whether or not he's a you know one of the greatest NBA players of all time, you know he's he's also a great you know great uh, great mentor for for uh, connecting with you know and networking with a million 
you know, a million people. So, yeah, if, if I had a, you know, if I had the next Lafayette quarterback in front of me, what I'd tell him is touch as many people as you can, network with as many people as you can, um, and really understand what they do. I mean, there's a difference between, in theory, kind of understanding, oh, you know, this, you know, this woman does this or this guy does this, and actually touching it, actually doing it, actually being there, kind of like Phil was saying before, there's, there's real value in, in uh, actually shaking hands, actually getting in front of these people. And Phil, we had on the podcast a guy named Cameron Lynch. Cameron played linebacker at Syracuse. I think he's now with the Bucks, and he's really into communication. So uh, he is doing interviews. Uh, I think he went to work for the Players Tribune one summer. Um, and I'm just curious, when you were in the locker room and a guy maybe was taking that approach, how would the locker room react to somebody who is – you know, exploring and, and looking into outside interests outside of outside of football? Yeah, it's an awesome question. And we have an athlete, William Hesmer, from the book from uh, – he was a professional soccer player. He was uh, played nine years, and he did that exactly. And he shares his insight into exactly what you just said where, uh, you know, when you do other things outside of sports, his choice was to go and be a financial advisor and, you know, uh, mentor, you know, be mentored by people who are doing that. Well, the perception of the team and coaches was you're not all in. Well, it's a shame because, you know, we can go into research studies about athletes doing different things outside of sports, making them more successful on the field. But the bottom line and what he shares in the book is that this helped him exponentially when he was done playing and he, he transitioned so smoothly. He's a financial advisor now working for a big company and he was able to transition so smoothly. So he goes, I don't regret that one bit. Yeah, it was, it was hard. It was, he goes, it was damn hard to do, but I, I'm glad I did it. Here's the other amazing thing I had on Paul Rabel on the podcast and Paul actually has said that, getting into business and learning business has made him a better lacrosse player because he's learned how to sort of deal with emotion in a different way. He's learned how to be strategic, efficient with his time. Um, and, and it's actually helped him as a lacrosse player. Um, but I, um, uh, also was thinking about the MLS. So DC United is a, our local soccer team and the MLS, they'll bring in, the people that certify and train coaches. So in soccer, you have to get like certified to become a soccer coach. And while the guys are playing, they bring in the people so that they can certify the soccer players as trainers and the MLS will pay for it, which is a really cool thing. So while I was, I would be in the locker room sometimes and they'd be like, all right, we got our training to become coaches. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine for them, it, it gives them insight into what it's like to be a coach and then they can better understand their coach and what the coach is asking for them. So I think there's all kinds of ways to do it. Um, and I recognize that there are still some people that would say, no, you have to do 100% football 100% of the time. Right. Um, and it's interesting in a sport like football because there's only so much hitting you're actually allowed to do. Like the NFLPA negotiates that. And I, I know you can watch film and, and do a lot of other things, but uh, you also have an off season where you got time. And right. like, how are you going to use that time? Not to mention the NFL – what three years is the average career? So, like, do you know our our teams or the NFLPA or is the league trying to help their players while they're there um, explore job opportunities? 
the NFL, you know, they're doing more and more. This is an important area to them. And before I jump into that, something you said, Brian, you know, you sparked something uh, that reminded me of one of the athletes, Karen Davies. She's a Olympic gold medalist, a rower. And to give you an example of what you said before about, you know, well, it's not all sports all the time. Well, this is somebody who won a gold medal. So in 2012, she's at the Olympic Village in London. And the next day, she's going to go, go compete in rowing, right? So you imagine she spent the last four years, you know, her entire life to get to this moment. Well, that's all she should be thinking about is the rowing, right? Or you'd imagine that's all she's thinking about. Well, in the book, she shares how she's filling out clerkship applications the night before she's going to compete in the Olympics. And she says, well, and I got the clerkship, you know. And the next day she goes out and wins a gold medal. So it's just because you're not fully, you're, you're not, you're doing other things or you're spacing and spreading your time out, you know, and thinking about the next step doesn't mean you still can't be a successful and extremely successful athlete. I never thought about this until you just started telling her story. And I was thinking about the challenge that we have with women in the workforce today and how we like expect our women to be all in at work, but a lot of them want to take maternity leave and be there for their kids and the challenges that our society puts on women to do that and do that well. And I, uh, I look at some of the women that are working and what maternity leave can give them is perspective or we have people that take sabbaticals or take breaks or whatever it is that they might do. And I think there's an argument to be made. I know in Scandinavia, Rob, where you were like pretty popular, right? Like they, so you get paternity leave. Um, and the idea is recharge your batteries, come back, uh, with, with a better mind and a better soul. Um, so I, did you guys ever, did that come into the forefront at all as you're doing this research? Cause I never thought about that connection until now that our society says that you should be working all the time. You shouldn't take time off. I even think about it for me. Like, when do I read in my office? When do I meditate in my office? No, I'm at work. I'm supposed to be doing work, but if I meditate, I'll do better work. Or if I read, I'll be better at my job. So those challenges that from a macro level or a societal level, I'm curious if you guys have uh, thought about that as all, at all. Well, you know, many athletes uh, touch on this in the book is, you know, one of the athletes, uh, Shannon Bark, she, uh, she's a three-time U.S. Olympian. She won a silver medal in 2002 and a bronze medal in 2010. And she touches on this topic specifically. You know, the three most important areas of your life, you know, family, health and wellness, and business success. So, you know, women and, and men as well, but, you know, specifically she was answering a question about women and the challenges she was dealing with, um, with her family. And, you know, she, she speaks to that and touches on it, um, you know, in depth on, you know, putting her family first and health back in balance and how she found that helped her in business. And I'm curious as to when you guys realized that you wanted to write a book together, was this something that you're both talking about? You're back home and you're just catching up and saying, man, I would like to do this. You'd like to do this. What was the impetus to have you guys actually go through with this idea and pursue it? Well, it happened, you know, organically. And I'll share, you know, a quick story where it started for me is I'm at NFL films in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. Uh, I'm about a year out and I'm talking with 
Sean O'Hara, who's a former center, former lineman, and now a successful commentator. And I wasn't in a good place, you know, so I was struggling with the transition. And I said to Sean, uh, what's the trick? You know, you're making this look easy, man. When you say not in a good place, depression, anything severe or just like? It was the first time in my life I was depressed. Um, and I've been through, you know, a lot of other things with death, divorce, my parents, uh, you know, a lot of other family issues. But this was the first time because, and we can we can talk on this real quick, is when you're an athlete and you're playing sports, you can put all your emotions and all your energy into that sport if everything else isn't going well in your life. You can divert it towards that. Well, if you have that after sports and you're going through a struggle, where do you divert that? You know, and that's another challenge. Um, you always had that escape to put it in sports. But real, real quick, back to the story is with Sean. I said to Sean um, at, at NFL Films is, you know, what's the trick? You're making it look easy, man. And he looked at me, you know, it's a real conversation. And he says, I struggled too. And when he said that, it was like, like, like I felt normal again. Like this is normal, right? So fast forward from there a year where – uh, at that point, I'm working in medical device sales. I just got accepted to Columbia Business School, and I'm doing things that look and appear to be a successful transition. Well, I get a call from a former teammate, and he says, uh, you know, this is what I'm doing. This is where I'm at. And I can hear it in his voice. Like, I know this guy for years. Um, he's struggling. And it dawned on me at that moment. It was like, okay, I'm going to repeat the same words Sean said to me. And when I said it to him, I, I could feel him just same thing, man, let out a big breath of air, and I could tell that he felt normal again. So that's one of the huge ideas we're trying to share in the transition playbook for athletes is, you know, relating with other athletes' experiences and how shared experiences are powerful teachers. It's interesting. I think about the hardest transition for me. It was, it was college to the real world, and both of you went on to – play professionally and in a way that transition if you stay in it it's similar uh you show up they tell you when to show up they tell you when to do this when to do that and you just can they try to make it so you can just do your job and they try to make it as seamless as possible but for the rest of us when we graduate from college it's the first time we're not in school and now we have this autonomy and this freedom but we really don't because we have to go to work from nine to five and i remember for me uh, I think in college, I really had found my identity. I had sort of found who I was and how to navigate that and was very comfortable. And then that first year out for me was the biggest transition. It was, um, I don't really love my job. I don't really know if this is my future. And so that transition was, was really tough. Uh, Rob, I'd love to hear for you, from you as far as when you came back to the States after playing football, what was that like for you? And, and how did the two of you connect on, on this idea? Yeah. So, I mean, the biggest thing that, that I can, I, you know, I can share is it's, you know, part of it is, let's say is expectations, you know, so you, you know, when you're in college and, and, you know, you expect in four years, five years to graduate, you know, you know, okay, down the road in this year, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to, you know, be confronted with, with new challenges. When you're an athlete, that's, it's typically not the same. You know, typically you don't go out on your terms. You know, if I could play forever, I would have played forever. But part of it is, you know, have to retire, ask to retire at some point. Um, so, you know, the idea of, of understanding, well, you know, what and when, uh, I think is really important um, in that thing. But uh, back to the question about kind of when, when and how we connected for this book, um, you know, 
so you know for me I you know went through a similar you know similar state as as Phil and 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 many other athletes as we found out in the book you know from doing the doing the research is is that um you know everyone kind of struggles at some point you know whether it's you know whether it's with identity or or you know body image or there's so many you know there's a myriad of different challenges people face um so when when we really understood together that like look we're not the only two that are going through something something like this and how can we give back how can we support the next generation of athletes um i think that was something that was really you know really important to us and and for us to really understand it ourselves you know let's kind of dive in and do the research ourselves you know there's there's only so many different resources out there on this topic um and what is out there on this topic yeah Yeah, so right you know so what we found i say over the over the last kind of three years of of uh, of research was there's really two different types of of resources out there one uh, are books written by sports psychologists right so experts professors um kind of white papers things that are better built for you know let's say a university audience you know kind of in a classroom and you know on the on the flip side of things you have the book by an athlete but typically what that looks like is, you know, two to 500 pages of biography with a couple of gems in there, a couple of really great pieces of advice, um, you know, and they, you know, sadly, it's kind of buried in there. You know, so for us, when we were kind of creating this book, we were saying, OK, what do we want to know in this transition? And, and, and really what we wanted to know is what are the best nuggets? What are the best practices? Where's the meat in this? You know, I don't really want the fluff. I don't want to know, you know you know who taught you you know your kind of jump shot or how you fixed your you know your you know your putting game i want to know about how you successfully transitioned to whatever you're doing now so for us that was really the impetus to to go out and touch these people who used to be elite athletes who are now successful in something else um and really get kind of the you know give us the playbook for getting from a to b how do you go from elite athlete to successful whatever that next thing is so rob talk about that process what was it like interviewing these people how long did it take you uh, where did it take you? Uh, I would love to just hear what that process looked like. Yeah, so for us, it was it was you know we really wanted to to exemplify what athletics looks like. So we really wanted a really diverse set of of opinions and and best practices, different sports, different athletes, different backgrounds, because you know kind of like we say in the book, we share a common language. Athletes share a common language. Um, yeah, so for us, we got to touch all these people that I you know these are some awesome names you know these are people that i i grew up watching and watching that at, you know at the olympics these are the best of the best and and the fact that they're taking my call or taking my you know taking my interview is you know first of all it's incredible and then i you know kind of think next is okay we can sh- i i get to share this you know phil and i and 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 we get to kind of be the be the vehicle to share this with other people who are going through similar things like we went through um so yeah it is a fantastic process you know uh process it was it was it was really exciting getting to meet a lot of these people and now we become friendly with a lot of these people and, and it's uh yeah it's 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 really been a lot of fun and and um you know really worthwhile for us did you interview anyone who really struggled with the transition and was vulnerable and honest about how they weren't successful or is the book just with people that you know they they really figured it out and here's the advice that they'd give it's a balance um and that that's one one thing was really great is how honest people were when we would talk to them, when they would, you know, send back answers to our questions. And, you know, we did it in a lot of different formats to get these answers. Uh, But that's the number one thing is, you know, the honesty. And we could see, and when you're talking to someone, you you can tell whether they struggled. And that's what's so great about it is we're able to put that on paper and they were able to put that on paper and share that with the next generation of athlete or next person who's reading this and saying like, okay, it's normal. 
Like that, that idea is just so huge to be able to relate with another person, another athlete. And it's not the idea of being invincible. You know, the idea of vulnerability is huge. Any idea um, what these athletes did to be successful? Are there any similarities or anything that you pulled together and noticed that you can tangibly say to people when they're transitioning, hey, you should do this? Yeah, the, the biggest thing we found from the book is the earlier an athlete starts to prepare for the inevitable transition, the more successful they will be. There's a quote in the book from John Harris, who's the CEO of Athlife, and Athlife is, you know, they partner with the NFL, MLB, WWE, the educational branch of all of these professional organizations, um, and he's a former athlete himself. Well, 100% of athletes, 100%, will do something other than play competitive sports at some point in their life. And the earlier an athlete says, okay, they acknowledge and accept that, and they do seek other interests and seek other, you know, passions or, you know, keep picking up the phone and talking to people, then we found uh, it's directly correlated to more success after sports. What did you find that they missed the most when they left their sport? What was it that they were yearning for, searching for? What what did they what did they miss? The number one thing, you know, we found is the loss of identity. They miss the teammates. Uh, you know, you miss the competing factor. So, you know, some athletes try to reproduce that in the jobs they do now. Um, you know, the one athlete who's a baseball player. You know, he says, well, I think sales is a great medium and great next step for athletes because, hey, we all love a scoreboard. It's something you can measure. And they have to deal with failure in baseball specifically. You know, the old adage, you strike out seven out of ten. You get out ten, <laughs> seven out of ten times, you're yeah, all a famer. you're all a famer, yeah. And camaraderie is something that I hear a lot. So when I ask athletes that retire, hey, what do you miss? They say, I just miss the boys or I miss the girls in the locker room or whatever it might be for both of you. What was the thing that you missed most when you transitioned out? For me, it's uh, competing, you know, and right next to that very close second is, you know, the camaraderie being in the locker room, being surrounded by the guys, um, but the competing aspect. So how, how do you reproduce that? Well, you know, I've done it in some other ways, uh, but you know, the one example, Charlie Brenneman, Charlie Brenham is a phenomenal example of this in the book, and I loved it when we were talking, is he said that's what he struggled with most. So he goes into it, and he shares that he does a podcast now. He's a motivational speaker. He does a lot of different things. But he said what he missed most was, you know, you're surrounded by elite coaches, elite athletes, and you're pushed to your brink every day. Well, I miss that when I'm done playing. So what he does now is – he interviews and stays connected with these athletes through the interviews, through his podcast. And it's a way to surround yourself by that greatness, by, you know, these elite world-class athletes. And he, he's done it better than, you know, or just as well as other others in the book or others out there. We mentioned Jordan Steffi put us together. What sort of knowledge, if I flip to Jordan's page, would I get? Yeah, love it, man. Jordan, Jordan's advice that I absolutely loved and why it was almost it was a privilege to be the first to get, uh, you know, this content is because we can put it into action. Well, Jordan's advice is 
the earlier, specifically on mentors, right? So specifically for mentors, the earlier you can give back and you can connect with your mentor, but the earlier you can give back and the earlier you can um, add value to your mentor, the stronger that relationship is going to be. So if I'm the mentee, he's saying I was a mentee for a long time and I would always try to add value to my mentor to help them because they help me. Exactly. And whether that's, you know, saying, well, you know, what can I do for you or, you know, whatever way you think you can provide value to your mentor, whatever that may be, maybe it's something small. Maybe, you know, they have a, they have a five-year-old kid and the kid loves, you know, the Avengers, bring them something, you know, there's, there's a lot of little things you can do, but you know, the quicker you can add the value to your mentor. And that's something I'm actively trying to practice now. And it's a great tip from Jordan, the stronger and long lasting that relationship will be. And obviously you guys are focused on athletes and the transition that they go through. Rob, talk about transitions outside of sport. Uh, what, what thoughts do you have for people? There are going to be a lot of people here that aren't pro athletes or aren't college athletes that are listening to this. What thoughts do you have for them as they transition maybe to a new job or they transition and now they have kids or they're married or just different situations or environments? What do you, what would you say to them? Yeah, I feel like so many of the principles and kind of themes in this book are valuable for uh, for really every field, any any transition that you're going through. You know, we talk about the idea of cross-training, right? This is the idea of, you know, to put it in an athletic context for you. This is why bodybuilders uh, do cardio. And this is the same reason why sprinters lift weights, right? You get the best of everything. You take best practices from all these different pursuits and make it your own. Um, so really, this advice applies to, you know, almost any situation that you're going through when it's tied up in, in you know, partly your identity. But, but really, it's, it's, it's a transitional period of time where you have to take a step back and reevaluate who you are, who, you know, your surroundings and, and kind of your place in, you know, in this whole thing. So, um, yeah, I think, I, I think people will really benefit, um, you know, from a lot of the principles that are in this book. I know the book comes out end of May uh, and people can pre-order now and it sounds like there's... Uh, if they pre-order now, there's some percentage that's going to go to a charity. So talk about the book launch. Talk about the process of writing a book, what that was like for the two of you. Partnering. Did you bicker about what we should put in, what not? Just talk about the book, uh, specifically the process, and then when it comes out and, and where people can buy it and all that good stuff. So 100% of the pre-sale proceeds will be donated. Uh, we partnered with the Athlete Foundation, and what they do is they support more than 10,000 student-athletes, high school student-athletes, all across the U.S. in 14 different states, and they are an awesome. They've been great with the partnership. Um, they're doing some incredible things, and we're happy to be able to support them. Uh, to your question of, you know, did, did we bicker? Did we go back and forth? Like, honestly, nah, man. We, we got along so great, and, you know, we're best friends, and we're fortunate to be able to write this book together. Um, but you know, some little insight is, well, you're obviously just cause you're best friends, there's going to be, you know, some bickering, there's going to be something, right? So we kind of have a saying where when we don't agree, well, what do you do? You know? So our, our thing is, uh, you know, you can talk about this a little bit too, Rob, but it's the idea we would say is, well, it's small potatoes. You know, there's very few things that we didn't agree on that were core principle ideas, so everything else to us was small potatoes and, you know, we'll figure that part out. We'll talk it out. But this was just something that, you know, really served us well during the process of putting this book together. Awesome. And where can people find the book? 
uh, promote the book as best you can. And also where can people follow you guys on social media, uh, website, all, all that good stuff. Yeah, the book is The Transition Playbook for Athletes, How Elite Athletes Win After Sports. And they can find the book on all the major retailers, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, and you know they can find us or find more information about us and reach out to us at our website, thetransitionplaybook.com. Um, you know, we're the ones answering, we're the ones doing, you know, we're, we're the secretary, we're the authors, we're the, you know, publishers. And, uh, you know, lastly on Instagram at the transition playbook, you can find us. Awesome guys. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for sharing all your knowledge. And I look forward to, uh, digesting this book. Uh, it's written. So I have it in my hand and they just brought it to me today. So I, I did not read it. So. I would love to recommend it, but I can't. But I will say that they seem like awesome guys, and it looks really cool. And as I'm flipping through, the way that they set this up is each uh, chapter uh, is basically a different athlete and them talking about their inspiration, their preparation, uh, guidance, resources, lessons, um, all kinds of good stuff in here. And um, there's art. We were talking about it before we even started their art. Uh, It's just a really clean, good looking book and it's not too long. It's not too heavy. Uh, it seems like the type of book, which I could get through in a couple days, which, uh, I'm excited to do. Uh, so thank you guys both for coming in. Thanks for bringing me a copy. Uh, looking forward to unpacking all of these athletes advice. Brian, it's been awesome, man. Appreciate it, brother. Yeah, Brian. Thanks for having us. It's been blessed. Thank you for listening to intentional performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode jam. It was the first time in my life I was depressed. Um, and I've been through, you know, a lot of other things, death, divorce, my parents, uh, you know, a lot of other family issues. But this was the first time because, and we can we can talk on this real quick, is when you're an athlete and you're playing sports, you can put all your emotions and all your energy into that sport if everything else isn't going well in your life. You can divert it towards that. Well, if you have that after sports and you're going through a struggle, where do you divert that? You know, and that's another challenge. Um, you always had that escape to put it in sports. But real, real quick, back to the story is with Sean. I said to Sean um, at, at NFL Films is, you know, what's the trick? You're making it look easy, man. And he looked at me, you know, it's a real conversation. And he says, I struggled too. And when he said that, it was like, like I felt normal again. Like, this is normal, right? So fast forward from there a year where uh, at that point I'm working in medical device sales. I just got accepted to Columbia Business School and I'm doing things that look and appear to be a successful transition. Well, I get a call from a former teammate and he says, uh, you know, this is what I'm doing, this is where I'm at. And I can hear it in his voice, like I know this guy for years. Um, He struggled. And it dawned on me at that moment, it was like, okay, I'm gonna repeat the same words Sean said to me. And when I said it to him, I, I could feel him just same thing, man. He let out a big breath of air, and I could tell that he felt normal again. 